Asymmetrical Haircuts, Justice Update, with Janet Anderson and Stephanie Vandenberg, in partnership with JusticeInfo.net. Hi, Janet. Hi, Steph. Had you seen that the names of the candidates to potentially become the Deputy Prosecutor of the International Criminal Court are now out? Yes, I did. And it's fascinating. Before we go into a little more depth, like how the prosecutor is now going to have two deputy prosecutors and what are the criteria, maybe we should also mention a bit on why this is important and what's been going on and how it fits with the whole story of the elections last year of the new prosecutor that we devoted a lot of attention to. Yep. Good idea. So to help us along with this chat, we've invited Angela Mutukutti to join us. Angela, hi, what are you up to now? Hi, Janet. Hi, Steph. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you guys. So I am currently an independent consultant, so I'm doing a variety of things and of course, still specializing in international criminal justice. Okay. You were quite involved uh, last year, I remember, around... We had a lot of big issues going on around the election of the prosecutor, in particular around the vetting process. And this was really based on the idea that all candidates have to be of the highest moral character. And it seemed to be a bit unclear how that was going to happen. Can you just recall for us um, what happened in that sense and how that fits with, with, with this year? Absolutely. So as you rightly pointed out, I did do a lot of advocacy on the high moral character issue, in particular vetting. And that was with the Open Society Justice Initiative and a number of other organizations like the Women's Initiative for Gender Justice, Human Rights Watch, etc. So there are a lot of organizations campaigning on this issue. And the idea was that there was no process for vetting. So a process by which we would vet the high moral character of the individuals running for prosecutors, so test the character of these individuals. And our thinking was that we need to develop a process. And we tried everything. We wrote letters to the ASP. We talked about vetting well in advance of the prosecutorial election, but it just didn't happen. It seemed like the reluctance came from the ASP presidency itself, which was unfortunate because what happened as a consequence is that there were all these rumors about the candidates. And so the lack of a proper mechanism through which these issues could be addressed was bad for the candidates and was bad for any people who actually had any allegations against any candidate in the running. So in the end, there was no resolution of this issue. It was just sort of swept under the rug as if it, it hadn't as if it hadn't been raised. And we had an election nonetheless. And everything I'm saying, of course, is has nothing to do with the candidates themselves. It's about a process. It's about a thorough process to test high moral character, which at the end of the day is a requirement in the Rome Statute. So this really should be uncontroversial. But unfortunately, it was not. Angela, do you think that these issues that you just touched upon, they weren't resolved then? Have they been resolved now with the deputy prosecutor elections? Because there were some provisions made. Are these enough? I'm, I'm glad you raised that because I think it's important to say that we have seen some progress. The ASB, in conjunction with the independent oversight mechanism, developed what they're calling a due diligence proposal. It was a due diligence proposal, and now it is a due diligence mechanism of sorts whereby individuals can send in allegations of misconduct or workplace harassment or bullying or anything that speaks to the high moral character of a prospective candidate to the independent oversight mechanism, and then they will then initiate a process where they confidentially handle the allegations and, if necessary, put them to the candidate who will then have the right to respond. So it's great that this is happening, but it's 
unfortunately not good enough. I think we need to see something permanent. We need a permanent mechanism that will be in place for every single election, judicial elections, prosecutorial elections, not this sort of ad hoc thing. So yes, they're testing the waters now, which is fine, but I do think we need to make, we need to move towards developing a permanent mechanism. And there are other things that I am not pleased about. For example, they've given everybody 14 days since the list was released to send in their allegations. Now, that's not realistic at all. Consider if you are, say, a victim of sexual harassment. I mean, 14 days is hardly enough to decide whether you're going to report this, put it in writing, and then send it to the IOM. Not ideal. Another question I have also is how widely has this call been disseminated? I know it's on the ASP website. We've seen it there. But where else? Do people know about this? Do people know that it's an option? And I'm not sure they do. So these are things that we'd have to build on and improve for next time. But again, much better than what we had during the prosecutor election. Let's turn for a moment to actually understand a little bit about the candidates who are up for this deputy prosecutor job. Um, Stephanie, fill us in. You've put me down here as a Stephopedia. <laughs> um, my brief take on this. So there's two lists, three candidates each. List A is all women and list B is two men and one woman. It's heavily leaning towards civil law countries. Uh, some names we recognize. Uh, Paula Masida, the representative for victims in a lot of cases, is on the list. And weirdly also Alex Whiting, not so weirdly that he's on it, but I know him to be an American, but he's listed as being from France. And he's also listed on the uh, the civil law uh, list, which is uh, interesting. Angela, let's turn to you. Have you got some some comments about this double list? I mean, to start with, this this means that there are going to be two deputy prosecutors. It looks like it's part of the way that Kareem Khan, the new prosecutor, is changing things in his office. I'm thinking particularly about a piece that you wrote for Opinion Juris or Opinion Juris recently about what you termed the boys club at the ICC. Are these lists, these new people potentially coming in, fundamentally going to change um, what you see as a boys club? Yes. So I, I definitely see the ICC as having a boys club problem, as I wrote in the opinion pieces, that it's just the gender balance. There is no balance. There's poor gender representation, especially in senior management, where you have most of the people from P5 and above being male. I think it's 76% of them are male, which I think is untenable for an institution of that magnitude. And I think if we are serious about gender balance at the ICC, then it needs to start with the deputy prosecutors. And I wrote this in the op-ed, which, by the way, came out before I knew the names on the list. But I said very clearly there, and I will say it again, that I believe that both of the deputy prosecutors should be women. And when you read the appraisals for the, the candidates, list A, list B, they all sound like very good candidates. So I think we're in a good position to to elect two women from that list, simply because they are good at what they do, but also because we need a more balanced OTP, we need a more gender balanced ICC, and it starts right there. So it's great that there are majority women on this list, but now states have to do the right thing for the court, for the system, which is elect the best candidates, and I believe that two of them should be women. So I'm wondering also, Angela, do we have any idea how states are going to make a decision on this? Because they'll be the ones who make the um, who will do the actual voting. And with the prosecutor election, there were multiple possibilities, occasions on which the kind of candidates were shown to people. Is that going to happen this time round? 
I'm glad you raised that because I'm I'm wondering the exact same thing. As far as I can see, there is no roundtable opportunity. And so how will states get to know these candidates other than through bilateral engagements? How will the broader community, so to speak, or other stakeholders get to know these candidates? Um, maybe we need another asymmetrical haircuts deputy prosecutor series, perhaps, where we will also get to interview them and grill them. So I don't know. I, and I think this is important, especially because the ASP is around the corners. We need to get to know who these people are and what they bring to the table. It'll also help us keep them accountable say they are elected and we say well you said this xyz in your interview on asymmetrical haircuts where are you on that now kind of thing so i would really welcome more opportunities to for us all to get to know who these people are and what they intend to do as deputy prosecutors well i really enjoyed doing that uh, that series before but it, it was uh, a lot of hard work anybody want to fund us to do it then fine let us let us know about this so, so Angela, do you think that having more women at the top at the OTP and more women in management would really make a difference for the ICC? Absolutely. I think it would. It's because we're talking about two issues here. We're talking about gender representation, but also about changing the work culture. And I believe that can happen through representation. So now, for example, if you look at the immediate office of the prosecutor where he appointed transition advisors, three of them are male. And then you have the prosecutor himself who's male. And if you then have one deputy who's female and the other deputy who's male, you've got more, you've got one woman and, you know, a number of men. So, but if you have two deputy prosecutors who are female, you're going to balance that out just a little bit more. And that will trickle down in terms of how the office works because the culture has to change and that will happen through the representation. Because let's be honest, women and men do have different ways of doing things. Not always, but mostly like we do bring different things to the table. So I think you really need to start with representation to change the culture. And we know from the independent expert review report that the culture is toxic for women, is highly discriminatory against women, and that has to change. But uh, let's just also put this in a bit of uh, uh, context, because uh, where is this election going to happen, Stephanie? So this election will happen at the ASP, that's the meeting uh, of state parties of the ICC that happens every year. This year, it's going to be in The Hague in December. Um, usually it's a bit of a like a jamboree where everybody gets together and everybody sees people and it's uh, probably the only venue where Janet and I get actively recognized about every five meters. But it's not going to be quite as previous years, Janet. Yeah, I've heard that there are going to be restrictions in place. Last year, uh, there was very little evidence of NGOs. Obviously, that was because of the COVID restrictions. And I've heard also, though, that this year, even though the Netherlands, uh, where it's going to be held, there are um, different rules here. I've also heard that it's going to be very difficult, potentially, for uh, NGOs to have their say, so to be mainly states, um, which is really what it's about, of course, and some, some court officials. I know we'll probably do an episode nearer the time about what we know, what's on the agenda, but I, I had a quick skim to see, and there's all the stuff, of course, about the budget. Again, the ICC court officials asking for a big increase. Um, there have been many years of zero growth in the budget, and there have been a lot of efficiency savings at the courts, so wonder whether they're going to get what they want. I can't really see they'll get an increase from states dealing with post-COVID and all the other kind of worries about international justice in the court. I don't really see that that has changed now. Um, 
But we have also on the agenda have the big reforms, the independent expert review with over 300 suggestions and said that things really need to change. There's going to be a lot of discussion about uh, what is happening at the court to uh, kind of implement this review. But one thing I did spot that uh, didn't seem to be on the agenda, and this is an issue that I've had to cover, and I think you have, Steph, as well, uh, previously, uh, it caused real contention in previous Assembly of States parties meetings, was that uh, judges um, had been asking about getting an increase in their salaries and pensions. Yes, and this is, uh, we did a big story about that, one of our first that was really uh, well listened to in and I'll Stephopedia here a bit again. It was in 2018, a handful of judges, including the former president of the court, uh, Ebu Suje, went to the International Labour Organization Tribunal um, to ask for an increase in their salaries and uh, also retroactively and to boost their pensions. But in something that we missed because we were deep in COVID and reporting all these other things, that was dismissed uh, last year by the tribunal. Uh, basically, they didn't even rule on the request for more salary, but they just found out that it was dismissed uh, or they just said that it was dismissed because they didn't file it in the required time limit. So uh, there was a lot of talk about this for years and then it was just uh, dismissed on a procedural issue. I'm just amazed myself that this, I don't know, really big elephant in the room that was there for so long ended up doing this uh, this damp squib. I recently had a was talking to an Afghan activist who was complaining to me how the judges were even in meetings with NGOs, with civil society, talking about the the difficulties with their salaries to human rights defenders rather than talking about what was going on in terms of the needs of victims. And I'm wondering for you, Angela, do you have a reaction to, to what's happened here? I'm wondering also, did this affect um, how you were doing your work? I mean, did it come up in conversations with people? Unfortunately, it did affect how we were doing our work because exactly the example you've raised where you're engaging with civil society activists and victims of genocide, war crimes and crimes against humanity and the centre stage issue is about judges' remuneration, which it really shouldn't be. And it's not to say that perhaps there isn't a legitimate labour issue here, but for that to be front and centre, I think, is was not good for the court's reputation and was not good as far as the optics are concerned. Are we concerned about delivering justice or are we concerned about our remuneration. So I think it sent the wrong message and it made it difficult for people to take the court seriously because that's all they could see in the headlines is that judges were asking for more money. So unfortunately, it completely distracted us all and took away focus from the core business of the court, which is administering justice. And Angela, are you going to go to the ASP this year? I hope so. I hope so. I'm just waiting to see, like everybody, what the restrictions will be like. But I, I would like to be there because I think it's an important opportunity to see the international criminal justice family, as I call it, but also for important advocacy with states. So, for example, on voting for the deputy prosecutor and IER issues. So I hope to see you both there, of course. Absolutely. We, uh, we are t- definitely taking you out for coffee and uh, pumping you <laughs> for, inf- for any information you can give. <laughs> I look forward to that. (laughs) Thank you. Great. Thank you very much for coming along today, Angela, and uh, speak to you again soon. This was Asymmetrical Haircuts, your international justice podcast created and presented by Janet Anderson and Stephanie Vandenberg.
This episode was produced in partnership with JusticeInfo.net, an independent site covering justice efforts for mass violence. Music is by Audionautics.com, and you can find show notes and everything about the podcast on asymmetricalhaircuts.com. This show is available on every major podcast service, so please subscribe, give us a rating, and spread the word.